0: Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'd like to start out with a little story. Um, It's called, I want to, forgive me, (laughs) sorry. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you all to our uh, message this morning. I thank you for joining us. We're still in our sermon series called Letting Go, and uh, I pray that God would touch your hearts today with this message. I want to start out with a little story that I heard about a couple who were arguing over what type of car they wanted to get. The husband wanted to get a pickup truck, and the wife wanted to get a fancy sports car. And they're going back and forth having this argument. And She finally looks at her husband, and she says, I tell you what, buddy, she says, I want a car that goes from zero to 180 in under four seconds, and I want that car sitting on our driveway on my birthday. And if not, there's going to be some big trouble. And she just uh, walked, stormed off. And uh, they didn't talk much that next week. And then when her birthday came, she pulls up at home on the driveway. There's no sports car. She gets fuming mad. She opens her car door, slams her car door, marches into the house. And she marches all the way back to the back uh, bathroom. And she's putting on some makeup. And she looks down and she notices this box that's wrapped up with a bow on it and a card next to it. And she opens it up and the card says, uh, happy birthday, honey. Stand on this and it'll go from zero to 180 in under four seconds. It was a weight scale. (laughs) Let me just say that wasn't the brightest guy, amen? Kind of a dumb guy. Funeral services are pending, I'll say that much. But do you think that wife was a little bit angry? I would say she was. She was probably very angry. Anger is actually what we're going to be talking about today. We're in this series where we're talking about letting go of some things that are bad for us. Cutting off some things or cutting things out of our life that cause us to sin or remain in sin. Last week we talked about a little thing called envy that really isn't such a little thing. We found out that if it goes unchecked, it will actually rot our bones. It's that serious. But when I think of envy, envy and anger are a whole lot alike, mainly because anger, there are many people who won't admit that they have an anger problem. We all know people that have anger problems, right? We have that have bitterness issues, just not any of us. I know that for sure. The truth is, seriously, every one of us gets angry, no matter how mild-mannered you think you are, because anger is a very real emotion, a human emotion. Uh, we, we express it in different ways. Some of us, uh, uh, we uh, have longer fuses. Some of us have shorter fuses. Some of us blow up. Some of us clam up. And when it comes to anger, some of us express our anger like a skunk. We just spew it on everybody around us. Others might be a little bit more like a turtle where you kind of close up and go into your shell. But either way, all of those extremes are damaging to your relationships. I'll go as far as to say they're toxic to your soul. And to be clear, God's Word never says that we can't get angry. It doesn't say that you can't ever show anger some of us grew up up in homes where any expression of anger was said to be wrong. Not at all. I see where the Bible says and has many scriptures to back it up, that basically says the opposite. Let me give you two. The first one is uh, James chapter 1, verse 19, that says, "Be slow to anger." It doesn't say you can't get angry. it just says, "Be slow to anger." And then Paul chimes in in Ephesians 4:26. He says, "In your anger, do not sin." What that tells me is that uh, you can get angry, just don't cross that line into something destructive, something that's called sin. And when I look around our world today, I would definitely, uh, I can definitely see areas that we should be angry. I mean, think about things going on in our world today. All the injustices that you see, I could start, but I'd never finish. When you see uh, our lawmakers becoming lawbreakers, when you uh, uh, see people that are... Uh, trusting in certain people, being abused by those that they have trusted, when you see people's rights being trampled on, those things ought to make you angry. What I'm saying is in the face of evil, you should be angry. And if you're not angry, I would say you're not really being loving. Because when you see these injustices, you ought to get angry about it, but be angry with a righteous anger, a righteous indignation. You might call it a holy discontent where you realize something is wrong and you flat out recognize it for being wrong and you say, hey, that's wrong. I tell you what, I'm going to get angry about this. And you know, a lot of times when people want to uh, look at anger in the Bible, they'll go to Matthew 21. Uh, Many of us know that story where Jesus chases the religious leaders and the money changers out of the temple. And it's not like a little girl selling Girl Scout cookies in the temple. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about these Uh, religious leaders these money changers in the temple who were selling doves and sheep uh, as temple sacrifices for these extravagant unbelievable high prices the prices were so high that the poor people couldn't even afford to make a buy a sacrifice and to uh, make a sacrifice and they were turned away and they were exchanging Roman currency for Jewish currency and charging these huge huge fees what I'm saying is they were ripping people off left and right So Jesus gets mad. Jesus gets angry. He makes a whip out of cords and he drives them out. You know, I've never read one scripture where Jesus ever thinks back on that moment and regrets it. I never read one scripture where he goes back and he apologizes uh, to those people. He never goes back and says, guys, hey, I got a little carried away back there. I'm sorry. Uh, Sorry I had to use the whip or I used the whip. I should have just guarded my words. No, the Bible says that when he went to the cross, Jesus went to the cross sinless. That tells me that that moment in that temple was not considered sin. It was was considered a righteous anger, a holy indignation. And to be clear, I'm not saying that you should ever get angry and go go drive anybody out of anywhere with a whip. And I'd like uh, not to find out this week you went into Dollar General and drove somebody out with a whip and then blame me for it. I'm just saying that if you're never angry... You're not acting a whole lot like Jesus, because he did get angry, and he's telling us that not all anger is bad. Anger as we know it, it can be destructive to our relationships, but I'll say this, no matter who you are, we all have a capacity for anger, and the thing about anger is what you do with that anger that's the real problem. Let me get personal. How many of you have ever sent out an email when you were mad or angry that you regretted? That you wish you could take back, yeah. How many have ever sent out a text that you wish you could take back? I'm not naming names, but one time someone in my family uh, was angry at someone, and they wrote this long text message uh, to someone else—not the person they were angry at—but they sent it to some. Uh, they wrote it to someone else just to tell them what happened and how mad they were at this person and what they did, and really going off on that person. And they accidentally sent it to the person that they were angry with. I believe that probably happens more, time, more times in our society than we realize. But anyway, not a good thing. Most of us can look back and see relationships that were lost or at least damaged by some kind of anger. Some of you have lost jobs because you couldn't control your anger. And I think all of us out there would agree today, when you look around at our society, we have an all-out angry society. Amen? We have an all-out angry society. Anger is everywhere. And if you doubt that, just turn on a late-night talk show. They're going to be spewing anger. Just turn on any news uh, station, MSNBC, CBS, CNN, ABC. Um, They're losing their dang minds, spewing out anger. Even flip over to Fox. They're talking about the same stuff equally as angry. Today, when I look around, it just seems like people are triggered. They're on the edge. They're ready to be angry it's in our homes, it's in our government, it's in our classrooms, it's at, uh, on our job sites, it's everywhere, it's even on our expressways. I read a story about how in 2005 in Salt Lake City, there was this uh, man that was driving down the expressway in his car, and there was a woman driving next to him in her car, and uh, he said that she was driving aggressively, in fact, she rolled down her window and yelled at him, And of course, his response was to give her a one finger wave, and she got even more ticked off. And while her window was down, she pulled out a gun and shot four shots into the driver's side of his car. Miraculously, uh, he wasn't killed. Miraculously, all she hit was his middle finger, actually, shot his middle finger off. Maybe he shouldn't have done what he did, but anyway, it was anger. It was what I would call road road rage. And you know the thing about today, road rage is not limited to our just roadways. Amen? It's everywhere. You know, we think about anger. Anger eventually leads to something worse. It might start out small, but it leads to something worse. It morphs into something a whole lot more destructive. Something called bitterness and resentment. You know how people become bitter? They become bitter because of some unresolved, unforgiven anger or resentment that they've let harbor in their hearts for Uh, way too long. Bitter people are kind of like icebergs. Think about that. Bitter people are like icebergs. They can be cold toward you. They can give you a cold shoulder. They can act like they don't want to know you, don't like to know you, don't want to have anything to do with you. And just like icebergs, most of the problem is where? Under the surface. You're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. The real problem is what's going on below the surface. That's the whole point that I'm trying to make about anger today. It's what's under the surface. That may start out as anger, but it morphs into something even more destructive called bitterness. So how does bitterness begin? If you're taking notes, the first reason is uh, it starts with a small seed. It doesn't start full grown or full blown. It starts with a small seed, maybe the germination process. You know, when I think about a plant, it doesn't just randomly occur by chance. It just doesn't show up automatically with this big root system. No, it starts out with a what? A seed. It starts out with a little seed. Cheryl and I at home, we have these berms in our backyard, and we planted different flowers and bushes on those berms. We planted some rose bushes, some lilies, some daisies, uh, some special grasses. And anyway, normally I would try to keep them tended to, keep them weeded. And I got busy last summer, and I just didn't get around to it. And one day when I was mowing, I realized, man, those things are getting kind of thick. And then I looked a little closer and I saw these new sprouts coming up through the soil around the plants. And I thought, are those part of the flowers that we planted? I didn't know, so I left them. A few weeks later, I uh, was mowing again. And I noticed that those little sprouts had turned into these weedy vines that were actually growing all over the berm. They were taking over the berm, even wrapping themselves around and strangling the plants that we had planted. So um, I got my hedge climber, clip, clippers, and I took them, and I clipped those vines down to the ground, and I thought, well, maybe that'll take care of it. Two to three weeks later, they were growing healthier and stronger than ever before. And it wasn't until I decided to get my shovel out of the barn and trace down where that root system went to, the vine system went to, to the root system, and dug up that root. It wasn't until then that I was able to get rid of that plant those vines that were strangling out the rest of the plants on the berm i want to say this as it is true in the natural it's just as true in the spiritual listen to what jesus says in matthew 13 verse 24 it's a parable and he says this the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed seed in his field but while men were sleeping let me stop there while men were sleeping not paying attention His enemy came and sowed tares or weeds also among the wheat and then went away. Do you notice something about what the enemy did? Yeah, he came and planted the weeds, but then he went away. It's because the enemy believes. He does believe in the power of seeds. He didn't stay to water it. He didn't stay to tend to it, to nourish it. He just planted it and he left. He planted it and he left it there knowing that that seed would germinate when it's uh, left untended to. It's going to germinate, it's going to sprout, and it's eventually going to bring forth fruit. In this case, it brought forth bad fruit. So my question is, where does bitterness come from? I believe it comes from a seed of anger, of of something that someone has done to hurt you. Bitterness germinates when something happens to us that we think we don't deserve. I'd say probably one of the biggest challenges to our peace is actually people. Amen? It's people. It's people that rattle our cage the most. Because we all know, because we've had it done to us, people can hurt us. People can offend us. They can upset us. People can ignore us. And it all hurts. It all hurts us. Bitterness is internalized anger that we let fester for way too long. You hold on to it long enough, you know what that anger is going to do? It's going to change. It's going to morph into what I'm saying, into bitterness and resentment. People don't just start out being bitter. They don't just start out that way. They don't start out that way. It's a process. The seed is a hurt that grows into anger, but then that anger flourishes and it flowers into resentment and bitterness. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Remember I said that we have our most the most of our problems are with people. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So again, bitterness begins with a small seed, right? But then it takes root and it grows. But when it grows or in order to grow, what does it really need? Brings me to point number two. Bitterness requires the right soil. It has to have the right soil. A seed will not grow by itself. You know, I can place a seed, and I brought a peach seed with me today. I can place this dried up peach seed right here on the pulpit. Let's just say I'm planting it right right here on the pulpit. And if I leave it here on the pulpit and come back in a week, it's still going to be a dried up seed, right? Well, I might say, well, how about if I put it under here and I leave it for a year? I'll plant it there for a year. I come back in a year, it's still going to be a dried-up seed. Amen? It's not going to change. In order for that to grow, to sprout, it's got to be put in a soil, right? It's got to be put in a soil. It needs the proper resting place for it to germinate and for that germination and that growth to take place. But the soil that I'm talking about today where bitterness will thrive is in the human heart. That's the soil that I'm talking about today. And I, I believe, sadly, to say there are people's hearts who are very ripe. For a harvest of bitterness. And you know why? It's people that can't let go of things. They hold on to things. They can't forgive people. You know when hurt happens, we can't change it. We can't go back in time. We can't undo it as much as we would like to. So because of that, we're faced with an important choice. We can choose to let it go, or we can choose to hang on to it. We can choose to let it go, or we can choose to harbor it. And I believe if we keep stewing on and chewing on something that happened to us, that somebody has hurt us with in the past, you know what's going to happen? It's going to affect your present. It's going to affect where you live right now, and it becomes your identity. Basically, it becomes your identity. And you become that one that's known as the hurt one. You know yourself as the hurt one. You know yourself as the victim. With that said, I want to talk about a woman today in the Bible. Her story is in the book of Ruth. Her name is Naomi. She didn't start out that way, but she ended up being that way. She ended up being bitter. And I've got to start by saying what Naomi, her name really means. It means pleasant, lovely, and friendly. That'd be a great name to have. But if you read her story, you can just imagine her walking through the streets of Bethlehem, that's where she lived, and smiling, happy-go-lucky, saying hi to everyone, and uh, everybody uh, knew her as Miss Pleasant. I mean... Everything was going good. She got married. She had kids until a famine hit the land of Israel. And when that famine hit, her and her family decided they would move to Moab, basically a country that was a godless nation, or they didn't worship the true God. They had false gods. And while she's there, they only planned to stay a little while. They stayed a whole lot longer. And while she's there, things go from bad to worse. Her husband dies, and then a few years later, both of her sons are killed. What I'm saying is all of this tragedy and pain that she suffered, going through all that, all of a sudden a seed started to grow in her heart. It was a seed that actually became bitterness. Bitterness toward God. And God, by the way, was the only one to blame, so what did she do? She blamed God. How many times have you ever been in a situation where you ended up blaming God? We all have. So think about this. She eventually comes back to Bethlehem. The famine's over. There's food back in Israel. And uh, her old friends see her walking back into town. And they go, hey, there's Naomi, Miss Pleasant. She's back. How you doing? And this is her response in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. Did you catch that? She says, call me Mara. That word means bitter. She's defining herself as a bitter person. Don't call me lovely. Call me a bitter old woman. She's basically saying there's no hope, there's no future. God has robbed me. There's nothing lovely or friendly or nice about me at all. Just call me bitter. And look why in verse 21. She says, I went away full, which is not really true. She says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Did you catch that in that? Group of little sentences there, four times she blames God. Four times she says, I'm bitter, and it's God's fault. Four times she says, hey, I'm not happy and not a happy person, and it's God's fault. She's now defined her whole life by that destructive emotion of bitterness. The thing about bitterness is it turns us into perpetual victims, ongoing victims, which I think is a bad place to be. It's a bad place to live. But it also might be a very convenient place to to live. Because when you're always playing the part of the victim, you can always justify your anger. You can always tell people, well, I'm angry, and this is why I'm angry. And if you're a victim, what do you do? You're always blaming someone else for your problems. You can play the victim all you want. God will let you play the victim. But I believe while you're playing the victim, God in His mercy and love is sending the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to convict you to say, hey, let it go. Let it go for your sake, for their sake. Forgive them, as the Scripture says, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And in that moment, you and I have a choice to make. We honor God and we let it go, or we hang on to it and we go our own direction. Bitterness will take place when you choose not to forgive or to let it go. And when you hold on to that bitterness, you're just providing a better place for it to grow and thrive in your life. You can mask it, you can try to hide it, but it's still there. It may be under the surface, but it's still there. But when you choose to hold on to it, do you know what you're doing? You're actually watering it. You're nourishing it by rolling it over and over in your minds. I kind of know the answer to this, but do you know anybody that's bitter? We all know people that are bitter. And when I think of the people that I know that are bitter, they are people that won't let go of stuff. they are people that won't deal with the past, the hurts in their past. These people are always critical. They're always seeing the worst instead of seeing the best. They're always fault finders. They're always talking about people. They're always putting people down. And they're always so negative. So going back to bitterness. Bitterness begins with a small seed. But it requires the right kind of soil for it to be able to grow. This next verse tells us again about that soil. Proverbs 4.23 Watch over your heart with all diligence... For from it flows the springs of life. Did you catch that? With your words, are you bringing life or are you bringing death? With your words, are you building someone up or are you tearing them down? With your words, are you encouraging somebody or are you discouraging somebody? Our words are powerful. My third point, bitterness develops deep roots. Let me read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 again. It says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Here's the point. When people who let a seed of anger grow in the soil of their heart, eventually that anger is going to get worse. It's going to develop a root system that's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow grow stronger and more powerful. Pretty soon, that root system is going to become immovable. It's a root It's destructive, and it's hidden. You know, we walk uh, over roots all the time. If you're walking anywhere near a tree, chances are you're walking over the root system of that tree. You don't see it. You don't even know it's there. It's not very obvious, but it's obvious later on when that that tree produces fruit. That's where you know there's a root system going on underneath. And while it grows hidden and underneath the surface, it's growing stronger. And when it comes to bitterness, it's not just growing stronger, it's growing more destructive. You know, I used to be in the building business, and I remember several times getting called out to where someone would say, hey, I've got a crack in my foundation. Can you come and check it out? And we'd dig down around the outer edge of the foundation, and it seems like nine times out of ten, what it would be was a root, a root from a tree. I know many times we would build a house for somebody, and uh, they would have some mature trees on their lot, and the trees were great for shade and looked beautiful, mature trees. And they wanted to save them, so we'd situate, situate the house on the lot uh, to save the trees. But so many times we left the trees too close. I didn't really want to, but the homeowner wanted it because it just looked nice. But later on we'd get a call and we'd go back and they'd say, hey, I've got a crack in my foundation. Again, it was a root. It was a root of the trees, and if it wasn't that, it'd be tearing up their septic system, do all, doing all sorts of damage, and the homeowner would eventually be the one that would have to pay for the consequences of leaving that tree in the first place. Those little roots not only had the power to bust through concrete, every spring they would throw up these new shoots. They would throw up these new shoots that basically, when you think about it, they're, they're declaring, hey, we're here. We're here, and we're here to stay, and we're here to cause you all sorts of trouble. I believe bitterness is just like that. Bitterness will grow and wrap its tentacles around our hearts. You know what it does? It chokes off your spiritual life. Yeah, it'll choke off your emotional life. It'll destroy a lot of areas in your life if you'll let it. So that's why I like what Paul says in Ephesians 4.31. Paul gets right down to business. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, And every form of malice. You know, some people are bitter at their parents. Some people are bitter at their bosses. Some people are bitter at their churches. Some people are bitter at their leaders. Some are bitter at their ex-spouses. Some are even bitter at their current spouses. Bitterness can destroy lives. It can destroy homes and families. And sometimes that husband or wife, instead of being known as the better half... They're known as the bitter half. Do you catch that? And I believe it's a really big problem even among God's people because some of us have let what I'm talking about today, this root of bitterness, grow in our heart. It started out with anger, but it started to grow and it grew into bitterness. And because we've got that bitterness in our hearts, God cannot move. God cannot do what He wants to do. You might say our life is clogged by this root system. That's why we need to get Rotor rooter in there, amen? The power of God to clear the drain, the drain of our life. God wants to do some things in our lives. He wants to move, but He can't. He's blocked by the bitterness. And that's why hatefulness and holiness can't dwell in the same heart. No way. Nowhere in Scripture do I find where hatefulness and holiness can dwell together in the same heart. Corey Tinboom, a great woman of God, you've probably heard of her. She was arrested for hiding Dutch Jews from the Nazis. And she survived the horrors of a concentration camp. And she lived on to astonish the world by forgiving her tormentors. Corey Timboom Boom traveled all over the world and told her story of God's forgiveness of sins. And of the need for people to forgive those that have actually hurt them and wounded them. I'm going to read what she said. She said, it was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him. A balding, heavy set man in a great gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones. Memories of that concentration came back with a rush. The huge room with its sharp overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking pat- naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of her skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release, that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time he went on, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things that I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I remembered him in the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. I stood there, I whose sins had to again and again be forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours, as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down to my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried. It did not have the power. She says, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. People, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to love like God's love. Be able to love like God loves. To be able to forgive like God forgives. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 3.17. He says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust Him. May your roots grow down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Wouldn't you rather live there today? Wouldn't you rather be planted in that kind of soil today? When you forgive, you're not saying that what that person did to you didn't matter. You're not saying that it wasn't a big deal. You're not letting them off the hook. No, what you're doing is realizing it's not your hook. That's a miracle. That's freedom. And God is calling us to release that offense and to let it go. You know you can't give it to God and hold on to it at the same time. It doesn't work like that. You've got to release it. Give it over to God. That's why you need to bring it to the foot of the cross. If you're dealing with bitterness today and anger in your heart, bring it to the foot of the cross and say, God, it's yours. I give it to you. I even give you my life. I lay my pain down before you, God. Let me say this. If you're trying to handle forgiveness or give forgiveness or trying to handle your bitterness by yourself, you're not going to be able to do it. You've got to invite the Spirit of God into that hurt, into that pain to be able to do it because it's supernatural and His power is supernatural. It's not something that you can do at all in your own strength. So here's what I want to invite all of you to do today. And I realize I'm going a little longer than maybe I usually do. (laughs) I know it's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. It's turning into a hostage situation, All I want to do is take a moment to give you an opportunity opportunity to receive Jesus into your heart, either for your salvation or to help you deal with this anger or bitterness that you've let grow and become a real problem, a destructive issue in your life. So could you all bow your hearts in prayer with me? Father God, we come before you right now, and I pray that you would release multiple people today from their own bitterness. Maybe they didn't even realize that they were bitter but maybe they now see it. Maybe they now see it in their lives and what it is and how they've allowed this poisonous root to get a hold of their lives. I ask that you would give them the strength, the power in your presence, the presence of your Holy Spirit to set them free. Father, soften our hearts so that you can do a work within our lives. And God, I pray that you would radically change somebody's life today, that you would do something so supernatural That somebody would move from darkness to light. Somebody would move from death to life. Spiritual life because of your grace. And Father, may we as a people give a picture of grace to the world around us that's so angry right now, that desperately needs to see the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. We're asking that you would do what only you can do. I pray that you would meet us in this place right now. I pray you would bring your salvation and your peace. May all glory and honor belong to you today and forever. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week.